Hello everyone and welcome back to the Full Circle Podcast. If you're just tuning in for the first time, then I'm happy that you're here. With each season of the podcast, I do a deep dive into a different topic and this season's theme is transformation. Today we are continuing our exploration of the topic of transformation with a story from a gentleman who overcame severe childhood bullying. From the schoolyard to the workplace and even online, bullying seems to have a place at almost every stage of our lives. As someone who was a victim of bullying for many years, I can testify that the impacts can be devastating. Low self-esteem, social anxiety, fear, loneliness, mental health issues and a loss of purpose. To talk more about the effects of bullying, I have invited Sumi Mukherjee onto the show. Sadly, Sumi was bullied a lot as a child, which triggered severe obsessive compulsive disorder for him. One of his most devastating symptoms was picturing his bullies, causing Sumi to develop crippling fear that prevented him from having control over his life and his mind. The journey to healing was not an easy one, but Sumi underwent a transformative process of healing that helped him regain control over his mental illness. Sumi is now an author who uses real-life stories to discuss the difficult subjects of bullying and child sex abuse. Sumi has found his calling, standing up for those who cannot. And I am pleased to welcome him onto the show to discuss the journey he took to find his true self. Well, welcome to the show, Sumi. How are you feeling about our conversation today? I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, it's a topic that is uh, that touches me very personally and uh, has for uh, a good chunk of my lifetime on this earth. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I like to be able to use my long and at the time absolutely miserable experience now to uh, benefit others and show people that there's a lot of hope and there's a way out of all that and that there's a life worth living on the other side and that you can get there. Well, I'm really glad and have been very much looking forward to speaking to you today because our conversation today is overcoming childhood bullying. And this is something that I'm familiar with as well, maybe not to the same extent of the impact that it's had on you, but certainly it has been a big part of my life and I know many, many others as well. And I know kind of childhood bullying is such a big topic from the schoolyard to the workplace and even online now bullying seems to have a place at almost every stage of our lives would you agree with that yes uh unfortunately it does um i generally i believe that you know it it gets it's a lot less upfront and in your face when you get out of school uh when you graduate high school and kind of move on to the uh, you know adult world it's generally a lot less but it is still there and if you encounter those people that are bullies and like to do that, even in adulthood, you can find yourself dealing with bullies, as I have found recently in my own uh, adult life at age 45. So unfortunately, but uh, yeah, it's it's everywhere. There's unfortunately, it's a it's a part of human nature, and it's a it's a really negative part, and it has a devastating impact on on those of us that uh, you know don't enjoy that behavior or engage in that behavior ourselves, and to have to deal with. The people that have grown up probably being bullied themselves and, and being taught to, to behave that way and that that's the way to be and, and then we're stuck dealing with them. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, as I said, you know, I've experienced it myself and I can testify that the impacts 
I can be and are quite devastating. And for me, you know, I had low self-esteem. I was lonely. It had an impact on my mental health. And, and I had a real sense of loss, that sense of loss of who I was, because I always felt like I was an outsider, not belonging really to anything in particular. So I wondered if you could share some of your earlier experiences, because I know you have, as you've said, been bullied throughout your life. But tell me a little bit more when you were younger. What, what happened to you then? You just summed it up perfectly. Uh, everything you just said is exactly how I've I felt my whole life growing up. You can always look for a, a specific cause of why a certain person is being bullied or singled out, you know, and it, it, it's, but really the core reason is people bully and people like to bully. And unfortunately, especially in childhood and early childhood, um, when, when people are, you know, really immature and, and they don't know better at, at times, at least at first, that's how it starts. It happens. It can happen a lot. And that's why the saying always goes, kids can be so cruel and stuff. You know, uh, it's kind of almost a way at the same time. I don't like that saying because it's kind of condoning it in a sense, like it's just going to it's normal. So let's just not challenge it. But at the same time, I think it's to some degree, it's it's that immaturity and that uh, has caused people to act that way. But whatever the cause of the bullying is, it's usually stemming from something that makes a person stand out as being different in sort of, and it's, it, it gets put in a negative context, I guess. I've talked to, you know, kids that have said, oh, I was bullied because I was too tall. I was bullied because I was too short. I was bullied because I had glasses, because I didn't have glasses, because my skin is too dark. My skin is too light. Uh, you know, it, it can be anything. So it's really because people really, someone is wanting to bully and put somebody else down is, is really the core reason. But I guess the the outside reason in my case was I, I was different because I my parents came from another country. Um, they were born and raised in India. Um, they met and got married in Canada. So I was actually born in Calgary. And uh, we uh, I lived the first nine months of my life in Canada. Then we came to the United States, became American citizens. We were in Florida when I was a toddler. And then my dad got a uh, job opportunity in Minneapolis when I was three years old. And uh, that was kind of the end of the story. Um, I am 45 years old today, and I've been in Minneapolis area since I was three, since my dad uh, got that job and, and came here okay. in 1979. <laughs> so uh, I grew up in, in Minnesota, Minnesota, the Midwest. Minnesota is uh, predominantly, uh, you know, very, very white. Um, and this was back in the early 1980s when I started school. I really, really, really stood out. I was seen as being very different uh, in the town I grew up in, Plymouth, Minnesota, where I still live today. Back in the early 80s, there was just nobody that really looked like me. I mean, people kind of knew, kids my age knew what black people were, and they knew what black people looked like. And there was a one or two, there was a couple black kids at our school that, uh, and, and they happened to just be, you know, really good athletes, and they got really popular because of that. But uh, nobody really knew about what an Indian person was or a person that uh, I don't consider myself really an Indian person. I'm, I'm American and Minnesotan, but uh, my parents are came from the country of India. And so I was born uh, looking like them and I had darker skin. And uh, that was the first, uh, th the reason really that uh, I was, that set me aside as being different, unfortunately, in, in the minds of young, immature, ignorant minds, you know, really uh, saw me as being very, very different. And I got the feedback about that. I, I got made fun of for my name, for my first name, for my middle name, for my last name, which you had a hard time yourself pronouncing. Uh, and that's, 
I think that's the, that was the core reason I got made fun of because it was a very hard name to pronounce. No one had ever heard of a name like Sumi Mukherjee. No one had ever heard of such a name uh, in Minnesota, Plymouth in the 1980s. So people really, really made kids made fun of it because it was different. It was unusual. It was something they'd never heard in their life before. And uh, at the time, kids would even prank call my home because they would look up my parents' name in the phone book. And there was only one Mukherjee in the whole whole Minneapolis area. You know, that was us. Uh, so it was being being different. You know, we as adults, we tell kids it's okay to be different because truly it should be. It should be okay. But in certain phases of your life, it's really not okay. That's not the reality. That's the re reality we aspire to is that it should be okay to be different. But it's not. It's not. And you get... All the things that you talked about happening to you, being marginalized, affecting your self-esteem, uh, being seen uh, truly as an outsider and an outcast. And you are not, unfortunately though, I did have my small group of friends that were there with me from uh, kindergarten through graduating high school. Um, uh, there were enough people that were not bullies also. That's important to note. There was enough people that were just decent, average people that treated me like I was anybody else. But there was also a lot that uh, were in the category of being bullies, uh, seeing me as different, uh, seeing that. And it was very, you know, very clicky. Obviously, you know what how clicky, you know, school, and pretty much anyone that's gone through the school system anywhere knows how clicky school can be. Um, uh, I'm very happy to say for anybody that's still in school going through this right now, sitting in school right now going through this, thinking that life is this way, it's much, much, much better in the outside world when you're an adult. Much better. But even in the adult world, there can still be cliques and there can still be bullying. But it, so I think I may have gotten a little off point, but to answer your question, um, it, it started because I was seen as being different. People made a lot of comments about the color of my skin, um, a lot of speculation, uh, bizarre, uh, immature speculation as to where my parents originally came from, uh, the mistaken belief that I am brand new to this country and that I was just off a plane yesterday from some faraway place. And uh, by the time I'm in grade school, middle school, you know, that did you just come from India yesterday? No, I've been in Minnesota since I was a baby, since I was three years old. Uh, and, and not just from the students, from the teachers, too. And, and it was uh, it, it was very, very difficult. It didn't it didn't take the route of, oh, making me popular because he's different. It took the route of, you know, you're you're just not like us. Uh, you're not to be thought of as the same. And it's OK. It's OK for us to demean you and belittle you and bully you because because you're different. You're not white. You're brown. You're from somewhere else. Uh, we don't even know or we don't even think we can pronounce where you're from or where your parents are from. And, and we don't know what you are. You're not white. You're not black. Uh, it was very hard. It really affected my self-esteem, my sense of self-worth, uh, my uh, confidence in myself. And to this day, at age 45, some of those feelings are still there. And that's that's I don't like admitting that to people, but uh, it's the truth about being bullied and that that feeling stays stays within you and because it's a core of how you grew up and 
Uh, and I've, obviously I've come a, and you can overcome it. That's the important thing. You absolutely can overcome it, but it's very, very hard. So, and, uh, and part of the feeling does stay. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to what you're saying there. Cause I think I feel sometimes as well that that feeling, although you think it, it should go away, sometimes it just crops up or creeps up on you when you're kind of unexpecting it and you think, Oh, where did that come from? I thought I'd kind of resolved all of that. You know, you were just saying there obviously about how that infected your self-esteem and everything. So I was, I'm curious around how did these bullies kind of target you? What what kind of things, apart from like name calling, as you've said, and, and challenging, you know, where you've come from and things like that, did it show up in any other ways at school for you in terms of some of the activities that they did or, or kind of how they targeted you? There was all kinds of different bullying. There was uh, hitting, kicking, pushing, shoving, a lot of a lot of physical stuff, physically assaultive behavior in general, which, I mean, we were all little kids, so there was really no real significant discipline for that kind of behavior. Um, uh, and, and that's the frustrating thing about being in school is there's really nothing you can do. I mean, you can talk to teachers, you can, you can try to do things, but you know, substantially there's really nothing you can do. I mean, recently I, I had a situation, unfortunately, where, uh, within the last couple years of my adulthood only, I dealt with some significant adult bullying, uh, dealing with the dispute in my neighborhood. It's a, it's a long story. I'm actually writing a book about it. That's, that's another day's topic, I think, but I found that even as a as an adult, there's more things you can do. Like if if adults are harassing you in those ways, you can you can call the police. You know, you can get a harassment restraining order. You can get an HRO harassment restraining order, which I got against uh, two parties now uh, in this situation. And it's like th there's 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 resources for you. It's like you don't have to take it, but in school, you kind of just have to take it. If if you're the one that it's happening to, and you're the unlucky person that is not fitting into your particular clicky environment and, and people are choosing to do this to you, there really isn't a whole lot you can do about it. I tried talking to teachers and, and parents and stuff and uh, teachers and principals and stuff and, and none of that really at my time in, in the 80s, you know, none of that was really effective. So it was a lot of physical stuff, shoving, hitting, spitting, a lot of verbal stuff, uh, just taunting, basically saying, you know, you're a loser, you're not good enough. You know, people would use the, you know, racial slurs. Uh, one of the cruelest things anybody I remember kids would ever say about anybody else to make them really feel bad is they'd call them uh, the F word that implies homosexuality. Uh, that's a very bad word to use. Uh, um, they would call you that just because it's, you know, the worst thing that they could think to call you. And so I remember, uh, you know, even if it doesn't apply, but it, it wasn't about that. It was just about putting somebody down and making them feel lower than dirt. And that's Kids are very, very resourceful with that. So it was it was physical stuff. It was a lot of verbal stuff. It was exclusion. It was just the feeling that um, a significant majority did not consider me the same as them or equal to them or deserving of the same uh, rights as them. So tell me, because this went on for quite a number of years, didn't it? The kind of the bullying and the harassment. Unfortunately, and I know that yes. Had, yes. And that had a big impact on your, your mental health, didn't it? Do you want to tell me a little bit more around what happened then? It did. It, it had, and this happens again. I'm just one person. This unfortunately happens to millions and millions and, and countless people of all races, ages, genders, whatever you want to call it, are impacted by this. Uh, I think it affects a lot more mental health than we know. Oftentimes we hear about the most publicized tragic cases of, you know, kids taking their own lives and, and horrible, 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 sad things like that happening. 
But uh, for the ones of us that live through it, we, we live with, with our scars. And in my case, it led to depression. It led to uh, major, major self-esteem issues. Ultimately, it led to anxiety in my case. It led to uh, the development of one specific, uh, it, it led to depression, panic attacks, general anxiety. But then in particular, it led to, it branched off into severe obsessive compulsive disorder. And my obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a, a whole monster disease in itself, it kind of, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, the, the disease itself, the mental illness kind of preys on whatever you're insecure about. So my OCD often played out by making me relive the memories of being bullied and all the people that had bullied me. So it's kind of like the bullying and the OCD kind of, you know, joined forces uh, very strongly in my life and uh, really tore my life uh, completely apart. Um, uh, the bullying lasted till uh, probably the last two years of high school. Um, and then after, and that was right around the time when the bullying was slowly reducing just by way of kids having better things to do in their lives. You know, people are driving and dating and going to more extra school activities and stuff. And they have better things to do, you know, than to just pick on somebody. And they're getting more mature and they, they want other things in their life than just bullying somebody. So I think that generalized maturity began to set in. But that was right around the time that my disorder began. So I didn't really get a break from anything. It was, you know, the bullying finally tapers off and then my, my disease starts. So the bullying then was the trigger basically for potentially that happening to you was the, the fact that it might've been there lingering, but it was most probably that trigger point. Is that what you're saying? Kind of brought it on? I feel yeah. so. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I do feel so. Yeah. I, I believe that it was there. And, and I believe maybe if there hadn't been all that, you know, traumatic stress, which for me was traumatic. I mean, it's not like a shooting or a murder traumatic, you know, I don't want to misuse the word traumatic, but it was very traumatic for me. Yeah. And, uh, and that, uh, I think, I believe that really, maybe I would have had a tendency for anxiety, but it never really would have developed. But that I think really brought it out. For me. And I think that happens to, and I'm talking about it today at age 45. I didn't talk about it for many years. And I think a lot of young people that are going through it right now aren't talking about it because, you know, they don't feel like they can so. No, and I think it's difficult also to articulate how you feel at the time when you're going through it. I think for me, you know, like you, I, there was things that, you know, I did have some friends, um, but there was a lot of people, you know, who would same name calling, shaming, all sorts of different things that went on for quite a long time. And I think I think it does have an impact on your relationship with yourself as well. So I wondered from your perspective, how did obviously when you found out that you had OCD, how then did you start to navigate that relationship with yourself? What was happening for you in those moments? In those moments, basically, for, that's a hard question to directly answer. From ages 16 to 21, I was in a state of utter terror and confusion, and I had no idea what was wrong with me. I was having all these bizarre thoughts, behaviors. I was doing these rituals. I didn't understand. I knew they were irrational. I knew they didn't make sense to the logical part of my mind, but I still felt utterly helplessly compelled to do them. I was afraid of these catastrophic, irrational things happening that my logical side knew were not true, but I was still so afraid of them that I was changing my life around them. So that's a very strange place to mentally be where 
part of you can see this is bizarre and this is irrational and this doesn't make any sense. And, and, and it's like, why am I doing this? Am I crazy to be doing these things, thinking these things, feeling these things? They didn't used to happen before. Why are they happening now? Can I even tell anybody about this? Am I going to be committed to a mental hospital? That was what I went through for five years. That was what I was thinking about from ages 16 to 21, when most, most people are thinking about dating and, and driving and, and doing well in school. I was just thinking about what in the hell is wrong with me and who can I tell and can I ever tell? So what happened? Did you then seek support and get Eventually, help? to make a very long story short, uh, from 16 to 21, I did not seek any help. Uh, I suffered in silence. That was the absolute worst phase of my entire life. 21, I finally, uh, one thing led to another. I finally got help. I finally was able to disclose to my parents what was going on. I began treatment and then I, you know, I, I went on medication for the first time and I, I got an OCD specialist as a therapist. And, I, and for the very first time, my eyes were opened after five years of thinking that maybe I was incurably schizophrenic or crazy or something. I, I did not know what was wrong with me for five years. That's a long time to wake up every day knowing that there is something really messed up in your mind and you don't know what it is. You don't have a name for it. That was horrific. Um, the most horrific because I was completely in the dark. Then at 21, learning that, okay, I have OCD. I didn't understand that OCD encompassed all the bizarre things I was thinking and feeling and doing. I thought it was maybe just wanting to arrange things neatly. You know, I was ignorant myself about what that the disorder can include bizarre, irrational, frightening, frightful thoughts, the fear that, you know, if you drink your water a certain way, maybe something bad will happen to someone you care about based on how you sip your water. Doesn't make any sense to a rational person. Even to me, it doesn't make sense. But when you have OCD, you get addicted to that threat that maybe that's true. And it took learning. It took years, years of medication, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, ERP, exposure ritual prevention, which is uh, basically a way of uh, for an OCD patient to start to face the things they're afraid of and do the challenge your fear, do the things that you're uncomfortable doing, uh, whatever they may be. So that, that process took many, many more years. So I was really not uh, well until my late 20s. And that brought on a whole slew of other issues for me self-esteem-wise because I was very late. I didn't lose my virginity till 27 years old, which is very late in the United States of America for a male. That affected my self-esteem, the fact that I didn't feel like if I met someone and went on a date, I didn't feel like I had experience, like I assumed they would have had by this point in their life, because I was incapacitated from 16 to 29. Uh, they weren't. And already that made me feel like I'm less, and I know less, and I'm less knowledgeable, and maybe I'll be less of a adequate partner to somebody because all I know is how to deal with my OCD. I haven't learned much else. You know, my whole progress in every area of life was put on hold. And so it took really, so that, and so I felt like I was a very late bloomer. Um, I, I started dating very late. Relationships didn't go well. So I'm 45 today and I'm still single. I don't have a wife and kids yet. I still hope to, but I'm 45. Most people I went to high school with have kids that are teens and 20s and their teens and 20s now. So that all of that takes a longer term toll on your self-esteem. Why not me? Why was I left out? Am I not normal? I know that I am, but there's that, that feeling that, you know, why did this happen to me? There, there can be a lot of 
feeling of self-pity or just, you know, you know, how could how could this much negative happen to one person uh, as I feel at times has happened to me and, and that kind of thing. And I've just the most I've tried to do is focus on the fact that you can build a life after something like this and it can be a very enjoyable OCD free life. And I have achieved that. And that's the goal I really want to tell other people that otherwise people going through this will just feel like, you know, let me just kill myself and just not go through this. Let me just give up on this. And, and what's the point? But the point is you can get through it. And the other side, when you get out, is a wonderful, wonderful life. Even if I don't have some of the things that I would like to have in my life today, my life is very happy. I have family, friends, a lot of precious loved ones uh, and people that make my life really, really fun and enjoyable. And I'm in control of my illness now since the age of 29. Took so many years. Yeah, and I was going to ask you around, tell me around the desire now, because obviously you advocate, don't you, for for this kind of support for young people, but also for parents as well. So tell me how you decided that after you got well, what was it that you wanted to do with your life? First thing I wanted to do was uh, was share my story because I, I had told myself in, in the darkest of days that if I, if I ever get out of this somehow, and it turns out I'm not mentally unfit to live in the free world and I can actually you know resume a normal life, which at one point I really didn't think I would ever be able to do ever. If I was ever able to do that, I was going to use my story to make a difference and to to help the next uh, poor, damned soul that has to go through what I went through and to make their plight easier than what I had to go through. And it's almost like a responsibility. If you get through something like this, I feel like it's a it's your responsibility to try to use some use this all of this, give it some meaning. You know, otherwise it, it's just horrible, horrible, horrible stuff that happened for absolutely no good reason. I didn't deserve it. I can sit there and be miserable about why it happened to me. But if you take all of that and you can you can give it a positive meaning and use it to help other people going through the same thing, that that's the ultimate power over something like that. And that's what was my goal to do that with my life, was to tell my story. And eventually there were more stories to tell. But to tell this story and to use this story to talk about bullying, to talk about mental health, uh, I even looked up my worst, worst, worst bully from my childhood, and we met up as adults on my pursuing him. And we met as adults, and we talked about the bullying that he put me through. And I found out that, you know, what his life had been like when he was being a bully. And then, and it very tragically turned out that we had a lot more in common than we thought as an adult, not as a child, but as an adult, he developed his own mental illness. And eventually his own mental illness prompted him to take his own life. And so it's it's a shocking uh, but remarkable story about how the people that are being bullied need help. The people that are doing the bullying need help. And the bystanders and it's people that are watching this going on also have a very important role. Absolutely. It's interesting. The one thing that I've learned from my experiences, and I'm sure you might feel the same, is that as you've just described there, that those who are doing the bullying are sometimes often very vulnerable and are using those bullying tactics or whatever, however they present themselves in a way to try and mask and charade the vulnerability that's sitting underneath. And like you said, you know, sometimes, and you can, you can see it in the research, can't you as well, that, you know, bullies sometimes often come from being 
bullied when they were, you know, either from a parent or from a sibling or something like that as well. And so it kind of feels like that kind of just seems to feed itself, but in, in the same instances covering maybe covering up quite a lot of vulnerability. Yeah, there's a, there's a, that's very, very true. I, I do believe that's true. That's true for adults that I know who are bullies as well. And, and there's a very good saying, and I, I can't, uh, I don't want to take a way to look it up at the moment, but there's a really good saying. I forget the, the name of the person who said it, but the saying goes, the healthy man does not torture others. It is usually those, those who have been tortured that turn out to torture others. It's the tortured who torture others or something like that. But I think that applies really to the bullying situation because it's, it's, I mean, let's face it, it's a learned behavior. You know, I, I didn't, I don't believe I learned to bully because I wasn't raised to bully. You know, I was raised in a, uh, in the opposite of a bullying environment. Uh, thank God. I'm very lucky for that because so many people I've met have told me that wasn't the case for them. But uh, I was, I was raised in the opposite of, a, in the most nurturing, understanding, accepting environment at home that I could have been raised in. So I didn't grow up to be a bully. And I grew up to be that kind of a person to my friends, to my people that have been lovers to me, to my pets, to the kids in my life. And uh, it's because it's, it's how I learned. And I think it's very telling when you see people, especially adults that are being so nasty and mean, because you just have to stop and think, you know, this is this is how they children learn what they live. And this is must be how they uh, learn to treat other people. Because we're not, I don't think we're born like no, that. I think it's... No, I would agree. I don't think we are. I was brought up in a lovely, loving home as well. And I think it makes a big difference to then how you decide to eventually move on, if you can, from the experiences or certainly kind of accept those experiences that you've had because you've got that good support around you. Now, as an adult, you've, you know, you've written a number of books, you know, you, you're supporting both young people who are being bullied, you do talks around the country and so forth around that and you advocate for this so passionately but as an adult have you accepted what's happened to you literally depends what day you talk yeah. to me yes and no is the true answer that's the the honest honest answer is is yes and no there there are times that i feel like i have and there's times that i feel like the bitterness comes up and and, and i don't feel good admit saying that because you know everyone's we're all told we're not supposed to have those feelings and we're not supposed to be bitter but i think it's a part of being human and when something really unjust uh happens to you that uh you don't feel you deserved and it, it really devastated took so much away from you you know for so long that i think it's i think it's normal human to have those feelings sometimes and so it really depends what day you're talking to me generally in the last Two decades, I've been more on the side of accepting what's happened and, and saying that, you know, this all happened for a purpose because I think of the people I have and love today in my life. And maybe if things had happened differently, I, they, I wouldn't have those yeah. people. Today. I think it's totally fine as well to feel angry and have some of that bitterness sometimes as well, because as you said, it stripped many years away from you when you was you know, at that early age in life where you would have been still, dis you know, discovering yourself as a, from adolescence into a young man and so forth. And it did take those. So I can understand that completely and com and actually resonate with that in terms of what you've said. That's exactly yeah, correct. And I think that sense of, as you've described there, this sense of some days, yes, and some days, no, but isn't that just the human condition anyway, that from whatever experiences and, and when we have such trauma and yeah, rightly so. Maybe it's not been, you know, you can't really compare trauma because it's the impact that that has 
on you personally as a human being as you as you grow up and mature I think it's okay to have those ups and downs and have those wobbles in life because we're just normal right that's kind of part of the part of the deal I, I could not agree with you more and, and you said the best possible thing you just said there was we cannot and we should not compare trauma from one person to another everybody's trauma is their own and you know like one person can say oh you know I, I had this happen to me or I had this happen to me or you know my you know Someone could say I was raped and someone could say, well, my kid died of leukemia, which is worse. You know, none of that. Everybody's trauma is their own horrible, their own nightmare, their own hell. And it it stands alone. It cannot be compared to anybody else's. It doesn't, didn't, nothing you've gone through is diminished by what someone else has gone through, I think. And everybody, what they've gone through deserves that respect. So that was beautiful what you said. That's absolutely true. Because uh, I used to compare trauma and I learned a long time ago that that's, that's not right. Yeah, thank you for that. It's a kind of is it kind of a waste of energy in essence, really, isn't it? Because it takes you down a rabbit hole that actually is not very healthy for you in the long run. You know, obviously, our subject over this season has been talking about transformation, and, and you have been through such a transformation. So, through that transformation, what has been your biggest learning? Uh probably one of my biggest learnings. I I, I just hear my laugh because I hear my my OCD therapist's voice in my head right now, who's. Uh, <laughs> who's been retired now for a number of years. And I, I, I had been in therapy with him through my 20s. And I think the big, one of the biggest learnings I've learned is that you don't have to be perfect. I love that. Mm -hmm. And that sounds so simple, but I, I had lived my life in, in feeling like things are all or nothing. Either it's all this or all, all the other. And that there's no second way of looking at things or there's uh, that, you know, you have to be perfect or you're just not okay. And um, I've learned that uh, you don't have to be perfect, and there are other ways of looking at things. I, I've going through all of this has given me a lot of compassion for people that have gone through things that I've never gone through. Because simply by way of having gone through something difficult, I have compassion. I would want people to look at my situation and think that, well, I don't know what he went through and I don't understand it, but I have compassion for it. You know. So based on that suffering, it's that common bond I think of suffering. I. I can see somebody else's pain and it, it's completely different from mine. Maybe I didn't deal with those issues at all, but I can have empathy and compassion for what they went through because I went through something horrible too. And I can say that, hey, I don't get what they're going through. I didn't go through it personally myself. It's not something I have an understanding of like I understand my own, but mine is unknown to them. I'd want them to have compassion for me. So I feel that compassion for them too, because I can understand the feeling of going through something so difficult that other people don't understand what it is and whatever it is. So it's given me, sadly, it, it does make you a better person. It's it's a really miserable way to become a better person, but it, it does make you a better, more compassionate, open-minded person. And you have greater empathy for those that are vulnerable and those that can't stand up for themselves. It gives you, it gives, gave me a much, much, much deeper empathy for for people like that than I would have had if I wouldn't have gone through something yeah. like this. Thank you for sharing that. So do you have, I don't know, curiosity's now got the got the better of me. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, do you have a set of core principles that you now say, okay, so you've said that compassion and appreciating that other people's trauma is different. You know, you're not, you know, there's no kind of need for perfection or these, you know, those things that you've shared. But is there kind of a set of principles or rules that you now, from a from an emotional well-being perspective that you make sure you have in your life. I try to allow myself to have my bad days, 
to have my days where I feel depressed. Basically, the, the negative feelings that are inside me, I don't condemn myself for having them. I allow myself to have them and I accept that they will come up from time to time. My OCD will flare up from time to time, even though I'm generally over it, you know. And, and these aren't to be seen as a huge setback. It's rather, this is life. It comes with the territory. It's the way it is. And we just have to uh, work even harder on on focusing on the you know the things that are going well in your life and, and focus on that. I, I think also I try to tell myself too when I'm really frustrated about stuff. I, I try to say that you know of course a person's attitude and 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 per, and you know mor- morale and their attitude and everything is super high when everything is going great. But I think it should be seen as you have to. T- I try to tell myself when I'm down that the real measure of a true strength in a person is how you're coping when things aren't going your way. You know, how you carry yourself. And when I, when I feel like just falling apart, when things are not happening the way I want them to happen to these days, I, I try to tell myself that the, the real, because of course, if things, if everything's going your way and every, you're, you're, all the good things are happening in your life, of course, you're going to be happy. But I think it takes true character and true strength to find a way to be happy when things are not going your way. And I think that's the real mark of a successful man or woman is, uh, because the one thing at the end of the day that nobody can take, hopefully, is uh, is your happiness and, and how you look at the world. And hopefully you can keep that straight. And now there's some situations where it's very, very hard. Like if you, you know, a loved one is taken from you or something, that that's that's really, really hard. But for the kind of things I'm talking about, I, I can tell myself that, you know, I, I nobody can take my good mood. I kind of have a choice there that I can choose to be depressed and be in a bad mood and be angry and be bitter and hate the world, or I can choose to have my positive attitude and, and, and nobody can make me feel bad. That's a big learning. And, and another thing I've, I've really learned now as, an, as a person in my 40s is to not care what people think of me. That, that was a very hard one. Um, but now I'm much more and more today. I'm at the point where you know I'm 45 years old. If you don't like me, or you I rub you the wrong way, or you know you don't accept me, or whatever, or you're not interested in me, or whatever the situation may be, that's okay. Life is short, and I'm going to move on to something else. It doesn't. And it's it's sad that you know you can't have that when you need it the most, which is when you're really young. <laughs> but I think that's kind of what I've I've tried to tell myself that you know nobody is. Uh, no one can take how you look at the world away from you. And you can keep Absolutely. that part of you strong, Absolutely. no matter what external things are making you miserable and pounding on you. You can, you can keep your the inside of you strong still, or at least you can aspire to do that. That's the, the beauty of choice, isn't it? It's about in that moment, how do you choose to, re- to respond to that situation or that scenario? And how do you then view your world? And I think that's so important. What wonderful words of guidance and advice there. Thank you so much for that. So just a couple more questions. If others are going through this, and I'm sure that there's plenty of people who are listening either have been through it or perhaps potentially maybe experiencing it some in their younger years or even adult years, what cha- what what advice would you give to those that may be challenged a little bit by some of these more negative, maybe bullying type behaviors? I would tell them to uh, that I understand how difficult it is. I understand that there isn't one quick, easy answer to any of this. 
with the with the bullying in particular, I've I've always been a person that has tried to believe in uh, fighting back, but fighting back without violence has always kind of been my thing. Um, which is again, I said it's easier to do in the adult world, and I I think that the, the most important thing is that when you for the bullying part, I, I think when you do get out of the, the 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 grade school system, you know, grades one through twelve, when you do get out of that environment. The rest of the world, for the most part, is not like that. There aren't, usually, there aren't cliques and stuff everywhere in the adult world. It's it's not the way it is in school. You know, if you weren't, didn't feel like you were included or part of the group in the, in the regular adult world, you, you get included and you fit in like everybody else. A lot of that goes away. Uh, that's really a positive thing that I didn't understand that when I was, because when you're a kid, you're in school, this is happening every day. You think this is the way the world is. You know, you're always going to be seen as this outsider and this off to the side person that doesn't belong and everything. And you get out of school and it's a whole different world. For the most part, by and large, most adults are different. They're not like that towards you. Um, and so that part, that part with the bullying gets better. Uh, with the mental health, the depression, anxiety, OCD, post-traumatic stress disorder, I think the advice I would give someone is is really try to get a good support system, people that if it's not your family or your parents, you know, friends or the family you pick and choose, uh, you know, try to find people that will be a good support system for you. Be open to going outside your comfort zone to do things that can improve your situation, which could be being willing to talk to a therapist. Uh, my therapist was one of the best moves I ever made in my life. He helped me so, so much, and he still does today, even though he's retired. The years with him, uh, I, I will always be grateful for, because I learned a lot. Um, and, and, and being willing to, if you have to, being willing to take medication. I mean, I'm on some meds now for OCD and depression, and they've been helping me for 15 years. It's just a little pill I take in the morning and a little pill I take in the evening. And fortunately, it's you know, not much, but some people are very, very afraid of that. You know, they think it's a bad thing or there's some stigma or they're not willing to even try it. And I think, you know, not everybody needs it. But if if your mental health professionals tell you that that's what you need, first of all, being willing to talk to a mental health professional uh, that knows your particular situation and then being willing to try things outside of your comfort zone that can help you and knowing that you absolutely can get through it. And you absolutely can have the most fulfilling life possible after you get through it. And it's worth getting through. Because the biggest thing is why even bother? It's hard work. Why go through the hard work? Why go through all the years of, you know, learning how to deal with it and suffering through it and everything? What's the point of all that? I can just give up. I can just accept it. Or I can just commit suicide or something. And I really want people to know that it is immeasurably worth it to go through it, to overcome it, and to have a better life after it. And it's it's worth getting to that yeah. point. And I'm, I'm happier today than I was in my 20s and my teens. Any day, I'm happier today than I was in my 20s or my teens. A lot happier. That's just amazing. Thank you. And I would agree wholeheartedly with what you've just shared there. Thank you so much for that. So where can our listeners learn more about you and the work that you do? My website is a good place. Uh, my All my information, my author website is on Amazon. My books are on Amazon and stuff. But my website is Author Sumi. It's just A-U-T-H-O-R, Author Sumi, S-U-M-I, authorsumi.com. And at authorsumi.com, 
Uh, it has all my books, all my speaking information, and then at the bottom there's also uh, a phone number to call and my email. So if anybody's going through, that's watching this or listening to this, is going through any of these issues having to do with uh, any of the things I've, I've written about, I've written about bullying and mental health, preventing sexual abuse of kids, standing up for your rights at work, and about racism in the legal system. Those are kind of the issues. Anyone can shoot me an email and just, uh, I'll, I'll listen. I'll really listen to these things because I understand them. I've lived them. They've shaped who I am today. And uh, if I can use my experience, I mean, I never finished a college degree, but I think my degree is, is a life degree and all of this stuff that I've gone through. If I can use that now to help somebody else going through this, that's the absolute best thing that could come out of all this besides my getting through it is if I can use my experience to help somebody else. So my email is on there. If anyone has any questions, comments, advice, just needs some words of hope that you can get through this, because I was at the lowest point that a person can be for many, many years, and, and I did get through that, and it was worth it. Looking back on it now, I can say it's not like, well, gee, it wasn't that good that it wasn't worth getting through all this. It was absolutely worth getting through all this. And that's what people need to realize is there's hope, and then maybe you can even become somebody that helps and inspires somebody else because when people say that they're inspired by me they they have no i think back to all the things i went through and how weak i was and how much i suffered and they don't know those things and for me to remember that person the incapacitated paralyzed crippled person now being able to inspire somebody else it's almost unfathomable that that's the case now that is amazing, Sumi. I want us to say thank you so much. I've really loved having this conversation with you and thank you for sharing all what you have. I know I've learned a lot from you from this conversation and I know our listeners will too. So thank you for your time. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for tuning in. I'd love to take a moment and tell you about our wellness retreats that will be happening in May 2022 in Mallorca, Spain. My team and I have created four immersive retreats that allows you to take a step back from all the stresses and strains of your daily life in order to focus on your physical, mental, emotional and spiritual well-being. From coaching mastery, mindfulness and meditation, conscious living and so much more we offer a nurturing and truly experiential life enriching environment where you'll reconnect rediscover and reaffirm who you are and what you want in your life if you're interested in learning more head to the fullcircleglobal.com website and click the retreats tab in the meantime stay well invite joy and curiosity into your life and see you soon.